Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Also, I think the importance of when we talk about the mark of the beast and why everybody gets so wrapped up in it, like you, you don't understand if you're not saved, you have taken the mark of the beast. It's not like something that you, that, you know, you inject in your arm or you stamp on your forehead or you, whatever, everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life has taken the mark of the beast. Why? Because there becomes no higher authority in their life than uh, either some other god or some other government. Yeah. And 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 your if your allegiance is sworn to anyone other than God through Christ, you have taken the mark of the beast. Well, it's interesting that the text actually the first the the first this is how I preached this this last Sunday that was my chapter thirteen that the the first beast comes uttering blasphemous words, and he overpowers and conquers the saints. He kills the saints. He wars on them and conquers them and, and slays them. To those who would be slain, they go to be slain. To those who would go to captivity, they go to captivity. This is a call for endurance. How do you respond to power oppressing you? Christians, we can only endure. Some of us are going to be killed. The second beast, he comes, and he's not uttering blasphemous words. Blasphemy is not written all over his head and body and face and in his mouth. He instead does signs and by these signs he deceives. So this is another satanic expression through kingdoms like in Daniel 7 and instead of overpowering and killing and demanding worship by threat he does signs. He calls down fire from heaven he seems to help the first beast come back to life or show that he came back to life. And uh, and it's by those signs he deceives. And it, what's funny is we take the mark and we think the mark is his tool for deception. And that's how we're going to be. We're going to be tricked by getting the mark. It's just bad hermeneutics. It's just bad Bible study. The actual way that he... Uh, that the second beast overcomes Christians is by deceiving them with signs. The the mark is just, hey, you've already applied for your passport. You're already a citizen. Here's the paper copy. You know, like it's it, it, it's it's the receipt basically of the transaction you've already made. Right. And and it's the same for Christ. You know, we don't because Christ shows up in the next passage where we have the the Son's name. And the Father's name written on the foreheads of the 144,000 saints. Well, right. you don't become a Christian by getting the Christian mark on your head, by, by wearing a cross. You, you don't become a Christian by um, you know, wearing Christian t-shirts, posting Christian things, going to church. You don't, you, don't, you, don't get what, you don't get the essence of Christianity by getting the mark of Christianity. You, you forsake deception. You believe the truth of Jesus Christ— and you are a Christian, therefore you are marked and secured with right. the name of the Son and the name of the Father. It just is significantly different. And I, I didn't, I, I didn't really tap into this in my last week's sermon until I think it was too late to really hound on it. But I did mention it that it is just deeply encouraging that the 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 mark of the beast. And the the mark of the son and the father, you you have these these characters. There, there's so much here. I, you could preach a sermon just on this. The you have a dragon and a woman and a child. Uh, you have a beast, and then you have the son and the father's name. the The opposite of the beast, who's overpowering and deceiving and killing, is the father. You have the the son's father. You have his name written on your head. Uh, it just there's a lot there. It's just, it's just dripping with warmth and encouragement for the Christian that there's a father's name on your forehead.
if you're trusting in Christ. And you're, you're marked by the beast, the number of man, if you're forsaking Christ and, and following man. Um, there's, there's, there's way more there than I got to tap into last week, but that's good. Yeah, it seems um, that all that that the more I read Revelation, the the less I see it as this different book than the rest of the Bible, mm-hmm. and especially different from the rest of the New Testament. And the more I see it as well, he's saying the same things and doubling down. Essentially, if, mm-hmm. if you want to do anything, then I think it's an intensity or a doubling down on the rest of the New Testament. Yeah. I mean, so like even the passage you're talking about of him being, of you you having the mark of the beast in 13 or you having the mark of Christ in 14. I mean, it's so similar, eerily similar to what Paul says in Ephesians 1 mm-hmm. when he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And what is the mark of the of the beast? What is the the what is that? It's it if it's not the anti-holy spirit, you know, right. uh, se- sealing those whose names are not written in the lamb's book of life. And what is the mark that the Christians receive in 14? Mm-hmm. The people that m- march after the lamb will it's the it's the same seal that Paul's talking about being sealed by the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of of our inheritance, you know. And what is it that enables that person, you know, in fourteen to you know go to the gallows if it's if it's required, mm-hmm. you know? Well, it's the Holy Spirit that sealed them. You know, and it's the same thing that then is talked about in Jude, this him to him who is able to keep you, you know, mm-hmm. and so I, I think I, I see Revelation as just an intense, like somebody took a magnifying glass to all the doctrines that are there in the New Testament and just showing to you, albeit in a very strange way, <laughs> right. I grant you, but but if all the rest of the New Testament was set to movie, you know, mm-hmm. h- here's what it might look like, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it's just a, it, it's it's a really beautiful depiction of all those things that we, we know, you know, this is, this is not substantially different. This is not um, merely a, you know, look to the horizon, Christian, when these things happen, that's how you know. I think that's a bad reading, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's much more a look in your own day. Like this this has happened. It doesn't matter what, what era you're in. And John is obviously writing to a group of churches, you know, that are going to be encouraged by this. So this is true of their day. But I'm going to read it in my day, and I'm going to see all these same things. Because as long as the gospel is here, as long as there are, are, are as long as Satan is active in the world, as long as... Christians, as long as the church is here and uh, proclaiming the gospel, and as long as it is spreading, uh, say it, these all these things are going to be true. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, these things are all going to be true until Christ returns. And so, no matter what era you're in, you're going to be able to read this text and benefit from it, and be encouraged by it, and be. Uh, you know, cause you to think. Convicted have by to it. Think. Afraid by it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're going to be the, the gamut of emotions that runs throughout the New Testament. Well, really the whole Bible, but particularly the New Testament, I guess. You're going to experience all of those things, no matter what era you're, you're, you find yourself in. I don't care if you're in 2021 or you're in, you know, 67,000 AD, mm-hmm. you know. I was intrigued by that. I heard that somewhere uh, th- this week, and, and I was thinking about that. And I, I mentioned that last night in our Bible study. It was like, you you really need to wrap your minds around the idea that we might be in the early church, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that 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 picture is not original to me, but right. I think I think it's worth thinking about that every generation thinks that they're at the end, okay. and this it can't get any worse than this. And we keep going on, and it, it does get worse in some ways. It gets better in some ways, mm-hmm. and 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 yet, you know, you you look at 
we, we always think, uh, well, I'm at the end, but it, it's possible that this thing is going on to 67,000 AD and people are calling everything from Paul to Piper, the early church, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, that, you know that's, Michael Crosswhite, that early church father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, grief. it's, isn't that, isn't that a strange thought? It, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is strange to, thought, you, to think, but when, it, it, it's so easy. I think this is one of my, one of, one of the things I wish people more, more people would consider about Mormonism and, and even some modern day Christianity is it's very self time nation centric. It, it has, uh, it, it is built around a people and a time. I mean, obviously Christianity is and God is in covenant around Israel and time, but it's um, it's very recent. <laughs> it's very new and now. It's not very uh, far backwards. Pretty pretty stuck in time. And sometimes our eschatology can be the same, right? You have a very short span of time that we think the world exists in, and. Uh, it can that can that begins to affect like, what you're I think you're getting at is it affects the way we read the Bible. It's a lens through which we view Scripture. That time is you know it didn't really go that far back and it's not going to go that very far forward. We're kind of the climax ourselves, and uh, that that changes the way you read for sure. Yeah. I'm in Revelation 14 this week, and uh, I mean just a real cheery passage. Um, it in the no, chapter 14 ends with um, uh, the angel putting his sickle to the ground, reaping harvest mm. of everyone who's not a Christian on the earth, and throwing them into the wine press, and blood flowing out of the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 mm. stadia, which is almost 200 miles. I mean, isn't that just, that just lift up your soul to the heavens? It encourages me. <laughs> Agree. A great deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there's this. There's more in the chapter, obviously, that is um, that that is harsh in tone. That the smoke of the torment of uh, uh, those who received the mark, the smoke of their torment goes up day and night, forever and ever. They have no rest, day or night. The worshippers of the beast in its image, whoever receives the mark of his his name. Uh, there's some harshness in here, and uh, I I think it's it marks a significant shift from um, merely being uh, you know revelation merely being um, hey you know what God's gonna win in the end Jesus is gonna win in the end Christians are gonna be saved. But is really focusing on the destruction of the wicked, destru- the, the destruction of those who are not in Christ, who are not marked with the name of the Son and of the Father. And it is sobering. Mm-hmm. It is. It it is it is making me ask questions about whether or not I. Um, this has even hit home. How how can you read this? You know, unless you just explain it away as like a literary device that's explaining some easier to swallow reality, which I think is the exact opposite of what the, it's how it's even being used literarily, is how how can you how can you go on with your day? Mm-hmm. How can you think this thought, and then what do you think next? You know, what what do you do next? It's so. Just teeth gritting, difficult. I, years ago, I went to um, I went skydiving uh, with some friends. I think my brother was there, and we we had an appointment, and we went like ten o'clock in the morning, and so or nine nine or ten o'clock. So we got there at nine or something. We did our little class, and then we we all went and flew up and jumped out of an airplane, parachuted down. And it's like ten thirty in the morning, and we're we're done. We're done. You know, we just jumped out of a plane at ten thirty in the morning. What do you do the rest of the day? Like, <laughs> what are you going to do next? Like, there's, 
what do, what do you look forward to with the rest of the the rest of the day? <laughs> well, we did that. Now, now what? So yeah, I, you definitely want to make that the like the later. seven o'clock at night jump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I I just that comes to mind just thinking about Revelation four and the severity of the rejection of Jesus Christ and the embrace of the worship of the beast, and it it's just it has. The, one of the first things it ought to do is just make you stop and tremble. And and, and if not, be a, you ought to at least be aware enough to be afraid that you're not trembling. You know, have, have the sense that I, I ought to be feeling this more than I am because of the words themselves and the gravity of the judgment uh, mm-hmm. that comes in, in that passage. Um, well, the thing that I love about that is right before it. Right before he gets to the, you know, in fourteen fourteen, where he's, mm. you know, talking about the uh, white cloud and seated on the white cloud is one like the son of man with a golden crown on his head mm. and a sharp sickle in his hand. Just before that, he says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead mm-hmm. who die in the Lord from now on, blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for mm-hmm. their deeds follow them. Mm-hmm. I mean that it, while while you have this horrible picture in and just awful awful picture um of 14 to 20 in of, of chapter 14 verses 14 to 20 you you get just before that in verse 13 mm-hmm. a reminder it doesn't have to be that way right you know and, and and that I, I I think I find that so often with the scriptures is that there with with every shred of condemnation that's given there in the text there is uh, also a, a a a whole truckload of hope you know mm-hmm. and that that you know if you're lost in sin there is salvation to be had. It does not have to end this way, you mm-hmm. know, and for you. And so I, I kind of echo what you had said earlier, which is like, this is to you. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading um, just one of the things I've enjoyed. You know, I've been pastor at this church for 10 years, but. Over 10 years and going back, one of the things I've enjoyed is uh, how I, I just thank God often when I'm reading, whether it's a, a biography, non-Christian uh, theology, uh, and, and maybe just because I'm always looking for something, but there I, I read things and I think, man, that I'm gonna I'm using that on Sunday. That is connected, mm-hmm. and you know, and God did this on purpose, and He's mm-hmm. He knows how much help I need to write my sermon, and He is helping me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm reading through uh, Piper's Providence, and I don't, I, you quoted from it the other day. Did you just start it? You got a copy in the mail, right? Yeah, I, I'm taking the long approach. It's like uh, every night I just sort of read a page or two, and, yeah. and I'm not very far in at so, all. But so maybe in 67,000 AD, you'll be you'll be done. Something like that. I do the typically at the beginning of a book. I do the math on it, yeah. and I'm like, okay, if I read like five pages a night, if I, you know, if I read a, a page a day, yeah. then it'll take me two years to finish this book. Yeah. Literally, that's exactly what it would take. Yeah. It's like yeah. two years. Every so, page a day. Well, I started at the beginning of the year. I I picked it up and put it down, and I found myself on page five hundred and nine, and there's a whole, you know. There's a whole solid two books worth left. <laughs> yeah. But um, he has been dealing with some difficult things, namely the suffering of calamity by Israel in Babylon and God's mm-hmm. um, God's sovereignty purposes and wickedness, his relationship to those things. But he gets to the end of the chapter, and he just talks about the, the, um, the, the section is called a closing confrontation with my worldliness. And he says, these chapters confront me with very serious questions about my life. Do I walk in a haze of worldliness that is oblivious to the vastness of the reality of God? Am I anesthetized 
by trivial excitements that keep me from seeing and feeling what is most terrible and glorious in the world? Have I lost soul capacities to live my life in the trembling and joyful awareness of God's all-embracing providence? Can I see death and suffering with a razor-sharp edges of lucidity, feel them with subtle empathy, and draw near with tears of compassion laden with the riches of quiet hope precisely because of God's providence and not in spite of it? And mm. I I just read that and I thought I need to ask I need to ask myself these questions I need to this is my uh, part of my devotion this week and to, I just, I just need to ask myself those questions have I and I think the biggest one for me was am I anesthetized by trivial excitements that keep me from seeing and feeling what's most terrible and glorious and that comes into really sharp focus I think mm-hmm. the being anesthetized by mm-hmm those you know daily excitements when mm-hmm. we're we're living in a in a year where the cowboys could actually win the super bowl oh. <laughs> i mean yeah i mean as a cowboys fan someone who's been a cowboys fan all my life and i i say that <laughs> half joking all right but uh you know that and, and and there is a good bit of joking to it. It's probably more than half, but <laughs> but I, you know, I've been a Cowboys fan all my life, mm-hmm. and I have to say that sitting down to watch a Cowboys game from beginning to end is one of the the the. It's probably in the top ten of earthly joys, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and that's even in the Quincy Carter days and the Vinny Testaverde days. You remember those days? Those were bad days, man. I have I tried to forget those. Those were, I mean, you want to talk about bleak. terrible things? Yeah, the Dave Campo day. Those were bleak days, man. Dave we had Campo. come from nineteen ninety two and wow. three, winning the back to back Super Bowls. Ninety four just missed. Yeah, uh, with Barry Switzer. Ninety five, we win again, mm-hmm. and then we just haven't done anything since. And so then we get to this year mm-hmm. where we're like, wait mm-hmm. a minute, mm-hmm. it's like all the things are coming together. Yeah. And it's so good. And I feel then like you I'm read watching that statement by Piper. I feel like I'm watching Michael like, Irvin, oh. Troy Aikman, and Emmett Smith. Oh, in the early years, in the yeah. early years, they're Even still young, Jay and Nolichek. you're like, yep. you're like, man, this is so good, and I, yep. and I'm enjoying that. And then you read that statement by Piper, and you're like, <sighs> I'm probably not a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I this feel. Is, this is probably telling me uh, <laughs> exactly how anesthetized I am by trivial joys. <laughs> Golly. But yeah, I mean, everything from Facebook to reading or movie watching to food to, uh, you know, dr- what you're listening to when you're driving. Um, yeah, I, I, absolutely. And. I think as I was reading through Revelation, I I felt that before I read that from Piper, which was I think on Wednesday this week, and uh, I started studying for my sermon on Monday afternoon, and reading through Revelation 14, I was like, I've got the structure, all right. So I'm going through my Simeon Trust worksheet in my head. I see the I see some of the structure. I see some of the characters. I see the themes. I um I I see the passage progress and and where it concludes. And the the conclusion of the chapter is the blood of those who are not in Christ flows as high as a horse's bridle for 200 miles. And when I read that, I thought, I know what that means, and I could do my worksheet on it, and I could prepare my sermon. I'm, I could tell you right now, when I read that on Monday afternoon, it, it wasn't sinking in. It, it had not effect, did not affect me. I just read it, and I knew it, and I believed it. It's true, but I, I've been thinking that all week. I don't even know. I don't even. I don't even have the capacity to really just get it. If that, if that makes sense, it's just so horrible and treacherous. And um, yeah. I mean, even now, I'm just looking for the words. It's uh, it, it's difficult to grasp and. 
the 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 crazy thing, and this this begins to get in kind of in line with the imprecatory prayers in the book of Psalms, uh, with David's uh, prayers uh, about his enemies, which gets us back into the covenant terms with God and Abraham and God and Moses and God and the people going into the promised land and their security and his covenant keeping his power and his faithfulness. And the the whole point of Revelation 14, which ends with the destruction of the wicked, those who are not in Christ, is it's about God's faithfulness and God's justice and God's severity to Christians. And I it, it right now I think in my mind it sounds pretty thin and uh, to to say that it's supposed to encourage Christians. Because I think it, everyone who reads it is supposed to weep and be terrified. And, and in fact, if you go back to the front, some of the first few verses in the chapter, um, the the first angel that comes in the series, uh, the very first thing they the, the very first thing the angel says in that series from chapter six, uh, chapter fourteen verse six is the very first two words are fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And the the idea here is not, hey, you know, let's pat each other on the rear end and tell each other, you know, you know, believe in Jesus and go to church. No, we need to have a disposition where you fear God. Hmm. That's the commandment. That that's the imperative. Not be nice and pay it forward. Fear God, mm-hmm. because the judgment is coming. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I I've had people in my church who are now Christians and part of our church and have matured greatly who have left churches uh, in Texas um, because they grew up in fire and brimstone churches. And all they heard was, you know, God's angry and he's going to kill everybody and you need to do the right thing. And I think we maybe have even swung the other way in, um, in, in more recent age of church uh, where we don't talk like that, right? We mm-hmm. we don't use words like that. We mm-hmm. we don't encourage such things. We don't. Those things seem they're, they're too negative. They're not very encouraging. Um, I'm already looking down on myself. You know, give me give me some good news. Um, and we we don't talk like that. But if we're gonna read the Bible, if we're gonna open the Bible, it's gonna say fear God a lot. Like you said earlier, Revelation is not a standout book. Uh, the instruction to, to fear God uh, goes goes back quite a ways in the Bible. Um, but yeah, just really so, sobering thoughts. And um, I, I was even thinking this week that it, for me, I'm interested to see what you, what you would say about this. But as I think about it, I'm like, it 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 has taken me to this place of just fear and terror of that moment and that judgment and the finality and the eternity and the no going back and the end of history as we know it and the no more chances time. And then from there to the just elation, the just absolute, uh, don't, I don't even know what to do with it, happiness that in Christ, my sins have already been pressed out, if you will. My sins have already been washed and, and will be because of Christ and, and His grace and His blood alone. You know, that, that's the picture that comes to my mind is uh, Christ's blood being pressed out on the cross rather than my blood being pressed out in the wine press. It makes me think about the Garden of Gethsemane which was an um, an, an olive uh, garden, and he, when Jesus went and was said to have sweat blood in that garden, oh, I can't. I think this is pretty accurate. I could be in folklore area here. You can maybe correct me. Uh, but that word Gethsemane was the the wine the the press area uh, where they press either the grapes or I think it was olives. And it's where Jesus went to pray and where he was in such excruciating pain. He was, in, he was praying so deeply and so fervently and in such turmoil and 
strife going to the cross that he sweat uh, you know drops of blood and he was pressed there he was pressed in the garden of Gethsemane which is where the press was in the garden uh, and I I think that was all intentional I don't know if you, you that that's got to be in Matthew I'm not sure if you picked that up or if, what you think about that the but, sweating drops as yeah. blood is not in Matthew that's Luke. in uh, uh, Luke I think yeah. yeah but I'm just thinking of that image of the wine press and, and Christ being crushed, Isaiah says, uh, for us. And just, I mean, I don't know what to do. I'm mean, just so, so done, so thankful that that's accomplished for me uh, in Christ. And just what a rest. I don't have to be afraid. I'm still fearing God. And I'm, and I'm terrified at the severity and reality. But for my own soul... I, I I just look out and enjoy the weather and just thank God. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Um, that's what I'm preaching this week, Revelation chapter 14. Well, it's interesting <clears throat> that you, um, you say that because just this past Sunday, we uh, I preached on the resurrection in Matthew 28, 1 to 10. And the things that I was struck by is similar to what you're you're saying here is on the one hand, you have the angel appearing to the guards and they are, uh, you know, just captured by the terror, the sheer terror of this angel appearing. The, right. you know, the earthquake that happens, he, his appearance is like lightning, mm-hmm. clothing is white as snow. And for fear of him, it says in verse 4, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Mm-hmm. So there's just an incredible picture there of the people who are tasked with keeping the dead man dead. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it is revealed to them that there is no one in the tomb, that he that the dead man has become a living man. Mm-hmm. And the guards who are tasked with keeping the dead dead mm-hmm. now become dead themselves or become like dead themselves. Yeah. And the reason for it is because of the fear uh, that they're seized with. But what I think is interesting is the flip that Matthew makes in the women who are looking for this dead man and realize he's alive. Mm-hmm. And they depart the tomb quickly in verse 8 with fear and great joy. <laughs> so what what they're they're fearful too, but the, their fear is qualitatively different than the mm-hmm. fear of the of the guards. Um and who have who have placed themselves in this passage at least, and Matthew has kind of demonstrated how they are opposite Jesus mm-hmm. in this, you know, in opposite God in this picture and they are seized with fear with no hope and the women are seized with fear but with hope with great joy Mm -hmm. and then jesus meets them and what do they do but they take hold of his feet and they worship him in verse Mm nine and one of the things that i talked about in the in the sermon and, and i that i'm just i'm still mulling over and still really thinking about is the 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 way we we describe worship in English is with the word worship mm-hmm. um, it, it literally it comes from an old English word that that meant worthship so it's like proclaiming mm-hmm. there's a in our worship we are proclaiming the worth of the thing worshiped so we are we are ascribing to God, the praise that he is due because he is worth it. Yeah. But if you, the, the, the way the, the Greek language describes worship is not in what is, what comes out of the mouth, but it's in a uh, posture. Mm-hmm. They describe it as a posture. Mm-hmm. So it proskuneo is a word that, that means to prostrate oneself, to, to lay flat in mm-hmm. front of the thing worshiped. And so, and and cuneo, which is the word, the root word of proskuneo, that root word means to kiss, and so you can kind of see the how, how they how they sort of get to to prostrate oneself before mm-hmm. um, 
you know, one to ascribe it. And it is, has a ascription of worth to him, but it's because of the posture that you're taking in front of the thing worshiped, you know? And so these ladies come up and they, they take hold of his feet out of the fear and great joy and kiss the feet of the, of the savior who has risen from the dead. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I think it's, it's hard to get a clearer picture than that of what Christian worship really should be. In the mm-hmm. English, ascribing worth to God, mm-hmm. absolutely, wholeheartedly, yes and amen. Mm-hmm. But, but don't forget what it has historically meant throughout the years of prostrating oneself before the resurrected Christ and kissing his feet, you know, um, hmm. because he has saved you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm just, I'm still thinking about that because it, what does it say about worship in our churches? Mm-hmm. You know, that, and, and I, I, like, and this is kind of what, what we got to last week, but I just think about that so much is like, you know, I, I participate in so many worship services or even what I'm looking for in a worship service mm-hmm. is often so much about my own emotions, you know, mm-hmm. like I want to feel the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I want my heart to be stirred. I want to leave this place feeling like I have hope, I have joy. And I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily bad, but some of the ways that we go about reaching those ends is, you know, we produce this kind of, you know, high quality production value, you know, production level service. We, we try to stimulate the emotions as much as possible. You know, we, we, we actually end up anesthetizing ourselves. Yes. With our own worship. Because, yeah, because what we, what in the end happens is we're chasing the feeling rather than the thing that actually really produces that feeling. Mm-hmm. And the thing that produces the feeling is being fearful and overjoyed at the resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's actually you <clears throat> realizing your faults and failures and, and sins and confronting them and realizing that in the midst of those sins, Christ mm-hmm. saved you. God actually sent his son into the world to reach down and grab you and redeem you. And it, it's in that that these women are overjoyed. But it's mm-hmm. because the guards feel like they have no hope that they're seized with fear and there is no joy on the backside. Mm-hmm. You know, but the women have realized what this, what the ramifications of his resurrection are for them. And so, you know, how much better served would we be in our churches if we focus so much on the resurrection of Christ and what mm-hmm. that actually ma- means? And then, and actually confronting our own sin, mm-hmm. and, and 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 putting it, and we we see that like the preaching that like you had mentioned the the hellfire and brimstone and and, and all that. we see that preaching is as uh, you know, sometimes is like overbearing and harsh and 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 whatever, but it should be quite the opposite. It should be confronting our own sin so that we realize the the preciousness of the resurrection of Christ and the savior that we have in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that it, it causes us as Christians to want to, to bow down and kiss the feet of the one that saved us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've always thought of it this way. The, the, the kind of the, the thing that we miss where when, when it comes to fear and excitement and joy, the, 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 the mood, the, I guess probably probably most characteristic of the charismatic movement, but it's very characteristic of the the pragmatic movement as well. That when you look at Acts chapter four, when uh, the Spirit comes and fills uh, comes and fills the room where the disciples are are at. That um, or excuse me, I think it's Acts two. That where the, the the Holy Spirit comes to the room, shakes the room the disciples are emboldened 
Well, what's happened in that passage is the disciples were, some of them are, were arrested or potentially being arrested. Threats are being breathed on them. And they prayed to God. They prayed, God, you're the God whose hand is being worked out here with Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Pharisees to have Jesus crucified so that your plan will be accomplished. You orchestrated all these things. We're praying to you that you would give us boldness to keep preaching the gospel. And it says that after that, the Holy Spirit came, filled the room, the walls were shaken, the Spirit came as tongues of fire on them, and they went and preached the gospel. They took the boldness the Holy Spirit had given them, and it turned into preaching gospel on the street, even in the midst of threats. And and we have turned it on its head, and we're sitting around praying for God to send the Spirit and shake the room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh God, would so you that we can experience the shaking. Shake of the, room? the room, God. We just want this. The last thing the disciples had in mind was that the room would be shaken. <laughs> they, yeah. They, they just they were they knew they were afraid and they needed boldness, and that was their. Let's an, be honest. God's answer. Let's let's be real honest. Okay. I mean, I I'm the never main, anything but honest with you, Michael. <laughs> but yeah, you go ahead. The main reason why we so often want God to show up and shake the room so that we can experience the shaking is because we're struggling with our faith. We're struggling to believe. Hmm. And we need the assurance that he's really there. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of it stems from that. Which, I mean, we're hit on every side with every every wind of doctrine that comes along that mm-hmm. tempts us to not believe. And yep. what we what we end up wanting more than anything is confirmation that he's there. Yeah. And, but, but I think what the disciples knew, what the Holy Spirit has historically affirmed, how he has affirmed the resurrection in his people is by giving them the boldness to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. And when they share the gospel with an individual and they see that person come to faith in Christ, that bolsters your belief. God is real. The resurrection is true. And, yeah, and, and sometimes so, I wonder too yeah. if we—I don't—I don't think we can put our finger on it that we have a faith problem, right? Mm. But we're bored, and we want more entertainment, and we're we are anesthetized by our own religion, and we want we want something else. We want God to do something exciting, something something new like that. And, and I want to be careful. There's nothing wrong with hoping and praying for a movement of God in your church. I, I certainly long for that, pray to that end. You know, a, a revival kind of you know movement, but not in the sense that, well, man, I'm just bored. There's, God's not doing anything. Nothing's going on. And I just wish God would do something that would excite me because I'm bored. And and that's that's probably how it comes out in our minds is I want something to happen, but below the boredom is disbelief that— you know, I, I'm just my, my faith is weak. Period. Oh, is that fair? To kind of add yeah. to what you said. Yeah. Um. But you know, I look back at the, like the first Great Awakening, mm-hmm. and you you hear you read Jonathan Edwards' "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," which is you know it's still a document you can go back and read. Uh huh. And then you realize he didn't make it through that sermon. Mm-hmm. And. He never got before to the he gospel f- portion of it. Yeah. Before he finished the sermon, uh-huh. people were crying, weeping over their own sin mm-hmm. and repenting. Yep. Um, you know, and, and then I've read several stories subsequent to that of him. There was one where he, he went to a house of a, a church, church member, Christian, somebody, and preached there. Following, I guess it was subsequent to preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God. Mm-hmm. And at the house, he's preaching, and the people fall out and are weeping and are over their own sin and asking God for forgiveness. And, you know, I, it, to me, it, it, it sort of jars me awake, I guess, mm-hmm. because how has God brought revival about in history? Mm-hmm. He, he, it's not been the, you know, the, the 
rock concert uh, scene. Mm-hmm. The smoke and the lasers and the projection screens. It's not been that. Mm-hmm. It, it has been the preaching of his word and his word hitting, penetrating the hearts of people. Even when you look at the, the Acts 2, mm-hmm. what, what's the result of Peter's preaching at Pentecost? Mm-hmm. They were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do? Mm-hmm. You know, and and we it's like we're trying to, it's like we try to, to manipulate the feeling of a revival mm-hmm. without actually giving attention to what actually brings about revival. And it's the spirit of God working through his word preached to his people, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's difficult and I, to kind of like wrap your mind around, you know, I think, but it's fundamentally important that we get this right, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's interesting because it, Edwards goes on to write his most significant work. Many would say is a response to the revival is what he's really most read for. His his greatest kind of theological thinking was uh, not just fundamental basic doctrine of theology and the church and, you know, getting fired for having a closed Lord's Supper. But his writing on revival, he's got a book called On Revival. He's got a uh, the, the long, um, oh, God, what's the title, the affections title? It's a long, wordy careful book on the difference between someone who's really excited about, you know, around Christian things and someone who's truly converted and is just overjoyed because of the salvation that they have in Jesus Christ. Mm. And so it's like we look back to the Great Awakening. Even if we look back to the Great Awakening and go, man, I wish we could do that again. You've got Edwards at the heart of the Great Awakening going, man, I'm not sure about some of this. <laughs> yeah. We gotta yeah. be careful about what revival yeah. really is, and we can't even we can't even yeah. look back there as if it's something we want to replicate, unless we also want to be cautious of our own revival in the in the middle of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, part I, I think there's not there. Obviously, you could say this probably about any passage in scripture, but to me, Second Corinthians four has such a cogent point to make for our world. In the ministry of the church now, especially in America, when he says in verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, for, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think so much of this is to this whole thing that we were talking about touches so many different areas, mm-hmm. you know, of church life today. But mm-hmm. our worship service is just for me lately come into sharp focus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. You know, what what are we are we are can we really say with Paul like we refuse to practice underhanded, cunning ways and and manipulation tactics and we refuse to do any of that we make open statements of truth about Mm -hmm. who christ is Mm -hmm. uh, for his glory we in our worship services strive to prostrate ourselves before him and kiss his feet or do we do we are we attempting to manipulate and and coerce and you know manufacture some of these things it it just you know to me it just comes into sharp focus there yeah yeah absolutely yeah you know it's one thing you did there and I don't know if you did it intentionally but you just and you know let's say scripture did it 2 Corinthians 4 did it it took the the heart of reformed theology the the blindness and the, the need to be helped to see right which Jesus is miracles like that they were always 
there there were signs pointing to future creation, pointing to the power of God. You know, I remember reading Christopher Hitchens, uh, a, a now now passed away, uh, vehement opponent of the gospel and all things Bible. One of the first things he said in his uh, book in response to Christianity is this angry jab at God. If God could, you know, if Jesus could heal blindness, why didn't he heal all the blind people? Why didn't he run around to the hospitals and heal everyone? Uh, which is just a, a miss of what the miracles were actually for, you know, pointing to the greater, longer work and identity of who Jesus Christ is. They were uh, proof that he is the Messiah, that he's going to now accomplish and will accomplish everything uh, God intends in the plan of redemption uh, for sinners. And uh, so that that power needed to overcome the blindness that you just described, the blindness by, by Satan in that passage. It's, it's touching on the Calvinistic Reformed doctrine of election and the need for the power, regenerating power of the Holy Spirit to pour out on us and help us believe, help us have sight and eyes to see the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And that, it's just, it's not a long jump from that belief about God's work to methodology and practice in what you do. We don't do these things because the problem is this, and the, so the solution is God doing something, not us creating a greater atmosphere or more more fun, better music, whatever. Uh, th th those things, they can be good, they can be useful. Um, God commands that we get out the lyre and the drum and the harp, and, and all, I don't know if you have those instruments in your worship team. I don't, but... You know, we're, make noise. We just now added a lyrist. <laughs> when, I cannot wait to see that on your website. The <laughs> the lyrist, lyrist, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I want a picture, and I want to see the instrument as well. So, um, but you you the, the 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 theology, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, it is historically as well. I think at this point, to today's discussion, we don't have time to get into the history of it, but that theological understanding, it is a very, very short half-step to methodology and what you do and what you think works. And whether or not you feel like you need to excite people, whether or not you feel like you ought to be uh, doing something uh, to to create something, and whether you ought to be pursuing that at all. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that's historically true through the, through church history, going back to Edwards and into Slarmacher and the, the history of the church in, in, in the West, for sure, if not the world, even going back to, man, that's Paul in Second Corinthians. And, I mean, we are we are deep in that struggle today, has not gone anywhere. Uh, what, you know, when we... When we think nothing, quote, quote unquote, nothing's happening in my life spiritually. I'm not uh, as warm as I would like to be, or as you know, motivated as I would like to be. And so, you begin to look for things. You know, what's gonna? Mm -hmm. You know what I need? I need a coffee mug, a sunset, a Bible, and you know, nice warm blanket. Turn on some ambiance on my phone. Take a deep breath. I mean, even things like that, where it's like, let me just get everything set up right, right? Like a really romantic version of your devotion. It's like, no, you, you should probably just get up before the sun comes up, sit in the dark, and read Revelation 14 and be terrified. Maybe that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, see if the Word has that effect on you, because that's that's what you're just describing. Second Corinthians 4 is the Word, the Gospel itself um, being the... Uh, the thing, the the power of yeah. God, right? Yeah, I mean, it, I think we we sometimes so so frequently just fail to trust that the Word does the work mm -hmm. in the hearts in in my own heart, in the hearts of the people that I preach to, mm -hmm. in the people that I minister to, my family. You know, we'll be around family at Thanksgiving and things like that, and I think about like. It's the word that does the work in the hearts of his people. And, you know, there's a lot of like smoke and lights mm -hmm. that we just want to add to it. 
because you know what what happens if the word doesn't do its work you mm-hmm. know i think you know we want some we want some to leave here feeling like we've done something but it seems like the bible even testifies about itself you know when paul writes about the word you know it it, it seems like what he's kind of getting at is that this is a long process mm-hmm. of God shaping and correcting and transforming and renewing the mind and training uh, in righteousness and correcting. And it's a long process for which often you're going to leave feeling like nothing's been done, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah. and so like a preacher gets up there and, and just reads the word aloud to his people and then goes, man, what was in, what, what was in the author's intention here? And, and puts that in front of the people and says, man, this is what we got to do about it. I don't think it matters as much mm-hmm. that it's this fantastic presentation, you know, and that the words are crystal clear and, you know, just everything is perfectly stated and it's not too long. It's not too short. The mm-hmm. illustrations are just right. Everything is just, you know, spot on. It doesn't seem to matter as much. It seems like the word itself does a work in the life of a believer. Sometimes we, we fail to wrap our minds around really when we mm-hmm. leave and we might even leave a worship service going, well, that was boring. You know, or that wasn't new. I knew all that. You yeah. know, yeah, that was vegetables yet, today. Yeah, yeah, that was that was nothing but broccoli. Right. You know, I, I'd be okay with a carrot, but right. man, that was a that was nothing but some brown Brussels sugar, sprouts. maybe. Yeah, yeah, get some something in there, and and we leave, and we may feel like, man, that that was nothing, but over the course of three years, over the course of ten years, that consistent faithful to the text of scripture, faithful to the author's intention, faithful to what the point God is making in his word, that faithfulness over the course of 10, 15, 20 years bears fruit in the life of a believer. It gives them an appetite and a hunger mm-hmm. for God and for his word. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. and I, and that cannot be manufactured through clever guitar riffs and 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 there's i don't think there's anything wrong with a clever guitar riff Mm -hmm. you know i think those can sometimes be edifying and like you know that Mm -hmm. was awesome you know and and Mm -hmm. whatever but if 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 it's to that if we're chasing that to as an end in and of itself then Mm -hmm. you know it that's not going to produce that and we have to understand that, that that that's the 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 riff comes out of the joy for what christ has done not produced the joy for mm-hmm. what Christ has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, we had our we had our Thanksgiving meal last night at church as a as a church we ate outside and man, I, I just it was such a sweet time. Uh a lot of laughing, talking, sticking around, a lot of people serving, making food all day, helping clean up. I mean, just the a lot of it was fun and a lot mm-hmm. of good uh, Christian fellowship happening. I was just really thankful for it. I was in line uh, to get food, and you know, it starts with the turkey and the dressing and the mashed potatoes and those things. And then, and whoever organized this, they did a great job because then comes the side table, right? So they got things in the right order, right? So as much stuff, turkey and stuffing as you want, and then decide if you have room for sides or not, right? So I'm at the side table over here. <laughs> There's this, and it was really good. It was really good. Someone brought a, a bowl of like cucumber, onion in a dressing kind of thing. It, it's the most vegetable thing I saw all night. Mm-hmm. One of the only ones. Yeah, <laughs> the only green thing on the entire table. Right, I looked at it, I saw it was green, and I said out loud, "Y'all, I'm going to get some of this because Colette might walk by and see my plate. <laughs> so I just want to have it on there, and you guys need to hear it." <laughs> And uh, and uh, one of our members up in front of me, she goes, well, if you don't get that, I won't tell Colette. And I was like, no, you don't understand. She'll know. <laughs> she'll, she'll just know. So I got I have to get it on my plate. And, yeah. uh, you know, I just thought, like, that was, it was so telling. I don't want this vegetable. I don't want it. 
I am I'm I'm following some rule here for the moment. You know, I know it's good for me, and it, mm-hmm. I just think it's such, it's such a test. Like we. I want to be. Do I do I go to church wanting to be excited? But I've, I know that the word's good for me, so I kind of I take my dose of it, and I keep. It's kind of like I'm serving the word by listening to it. I'm mm-hmm. doing the right thing by going to church. That's self righteousness, rather than. I mean, and this just feels so sacrilegious the week before Thanksgiving, but you know, rather than being able to say I love vegetables. Right. If if you like broccoli as long as it has cheese, you don't like broccoli. You just like cheese, and you like cheese so much you're willing to eat it with broccoli in it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. But we're saying the opposite here, where God's word, the gospel of judgment, the gospel of salvation, the most terrible things you can imagine, the most wonderful things you can imagine. Uh, that are wrapped up in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners and the final judgment where blood is pressed out in the wine press at an unimaginable depth and distance, that is what I want to eat. That is what sets my soul on fire. That is what brings me out of uh, being put to sleep by crap and junk and filling my time with silliness and video games and movies and scrolling and just boredom, right? God's Word actually brings you out of it. But, you know, you it, it you it's hard because if you are not doing that and you open your Bible and you do like I did on Monday at 2 o'clock and you open up Revelation 14, the first thing you're going to, first thing I remember feeling on Monday was, I don't feel this. I don't feel like it's supposed to be felt, mm-hmm. and it, and it needs to steep like tea for a few days, mm-hmm. right? It, it's not like that. It's not a you don't scroll through the Bible, you meditate on the Bible, mm-hmm. and then it has a ch- it changes you. It doesn't just entertain mm-hmm. you for a moment and leave you empty. It actually changes mm-hmm. you, yep. and and transforms. It's the it is the transformative renewing of your mind that makes you different and think different. Yeah, yeah. What a what a freedom. What a joy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next week's Thanksgiving, Amen. man. What are your big What are your big plans for Thanksgiving? Uh, to eat as <laughs> as much <laughs> as much food is put in front of me. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. My so we're going to my uh, to Andrea's parents, uh-huh. my, my in laws' yep. uh, place, and my mother in law makes. Homemade pies yes. with homemade crust. Yes, I know this. And I, I'm going to tell you, you know, <laughs> the word does the work and it produces the revival in the heart of a Christian. I know that. Mm-hmm. But if there was something else in addition to the word that could produce a revival, it might be my mother-in-law's pies. <sighs> mm. I mean, it, it it will bring about repentance. <laughs> it, it produces joy. <laughs> In your heart, uh, and she's gonna. One of them is gonna be a buttermilk pie mm. with a homemade pie crust. Mm. And to be honest, Nathan, there's just nothing better than that. Yeah, it's it's I, just fantastic. I believe you. I mean, I, I'm crying now thinking about it, <laughs> just in anticipation. <laughs> oh, I mean, the uh, dressing. And to, I mean, Thanksgiving is my holiday, man. That is my jam, you know? Yeah. You want to know something funny? I I do. In making announcement the last few weeks, uh, I, I think at least once or twice at the end of the service made a couple of passing jokes about green bean casserole. And oh, I love just, green bean casserole. You know, just being good. And it's a, it's a Thanksgiving staple for me in my, in my yes. lifetime in Texas, at least, right? Mm. Uh, I just I, It's everywhere I go. I think this is the first time in 10 years at our church Thanksgiving, there was zero, not one, green bean casserole. Oh, that hurts my heart. Now, I had nothing to complain about. I I stuffed myself nearly to the point of sin with turkey and dressing <laughs> that was as good as you've ever <laughs> laid eyes on. Uh, but I did go to bed thinking, you know what? It just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. Hmm. So hmm. hopefully my you parents know, are listening and... Well, I, like, that. Not to not to Jesus juke the whole thing, but <laughs> but 
and I'm really not trying to do that, but I, when I come to Thanksgiving, there's like the thought in my mind of like, what is the marriage feast of the lamb mm-hmm. like? You know, Man, I wish and, I could be as spiritual as you. I mean, no, I mean, just, <laughs> I just, there are, just there, you're a jerk. There are like small glimpses yeah. of that, I think, in our life. Yeah. Where, you know, everybody's gathered around the table, everybody's laughing, everybody's talking. Um, and, and there's this just feast of food in front of you. Makes me think when I get to that part in Revelation that we should have a feast at church after the service for lunch. I I think you should. Hey. And I think you should I think you should say this is a foretaste mm. of that. We can't do, you know. Yeah. Every every time we take the Lord's supper, yeah. I always say, you know, in in all the little elements and the elements the bread and the mm-hmm. the wine, Jesus when he introduces that to the disciples at the Passover meal. It tell he tells them to look forward. He's like, I've longed to uh, to eat this bread with you, and I will be fasting until uh, till that day, till the kingdom comes, and then I'll be fasting from the fruit of the vine until yeah. the kingdom comes. It's like each each one, he's like, this is my last one, and I'm waiting until you can join me. Yeah, and and th- so there's this scene of like where the the Lord's Supper becomes for us a a thought about the future when Christ distributes the elements to all of us and that there's a feast again, you yeah. know, to be enjoyed. And I'm like, man, that just, that is, so I don't know. Yeah. So Thanksgiving, happy time, but it's also a time to like, just think about, I think yeah. what that, what that would be like. I can't promise you that I'll be so spiritual next week, but if it comes to mind, I'll credit you for thinking, for helping me. Well, think, think about it now. Think about it now, and then you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Awesome, man. Enjoyed it. Have a good yeah. week. All right, you too. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.